All right. Well, today's message is on the power in Thanksgiving. And I'm not talking about what you're going to be eating on Thursday. I'm talking about the attitude of Thanksgiving. But what the perfect time, it, it tends to remind us what we need to be doing all the time, and that's being thankful. As a matter of fact, Charles Dickens once said that we are somewhat mixed up here in America. He told an audience that instead of having one Thanksgiving day each year, we should have 364 days of Thanksgiving. Use that one day just for complaining and griping, he said. Use the other 364 days to thank God for the many blessings he has showered upon you. I like that. Boy, wouldn't it be cool if we could, you know, you elect me president, I'll go ahead and, no, I'm just kidding. I don't want to be president. But as Dickens suggested, we should not wait for a special holiday to express our gratitude to God. Instead, Thanksgiving should be a part of our daily lives. In fact, the Bible is very clear that Thanksgiving is perhaps one of the most vital characteristics of any child of God. Today we're going to look at the importance of Thanksgiving, the power in Thanksgiving, and how we can cultivate this essential mindset that many refer to as the uh, attitude of gratitude. We all need to be reminded to practice Thanksgiving on a daily basis. Isn't it so much easier to complain about something than it is to be thankful for something? That attitude of gratitude is not just a duty to be fulfilled, but something that will bless us and bless others. It's typical of God's graciousness that the best gift we can give ourselves and others is to say thank you. Thank you for what we have already received. Our main scripture for today is not some big lengthy one. It's not chapters. It's not complicated. As a matter of fact, many of you probably already have it memorized or should have it memorized. If you could turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's only three verses long, but the three of the most powerful verses. Because in it, God's entire will for you is summed up. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'll probably read it faster than you turn to it. Starting at verse 16, it says, Rejoice always. As a matter of fact, if you've never memorized any scripture in your life, go ahead and memorize that one, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always. Verse 17, pray continually. Another one there. Now you've got two memorized. Rejoice always. Pray continually. And verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. And here it is. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Have you ever found yourself in a situation and you didn't know what to do? You even cried out to God, God, what do you want me to do? You've searched scriptures. You saw advice from anyone and everyone, all types of places. You're trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do? And here it is, all summed up in three little verses. God's entire will for your life. Rejoice, 
pray, and give thanks. Period. In good times and bad times, because it says all circumstances. Okay, so you need to go a little bit deeper. Brenda, that's nice, but I'm a deep Christian. I'm a mature Christian. Okay, let's, let's look at it a little bit deeper then. Turn with me over to Philippians chapter 4. If you ever get lost in the New Testament where some of those smaller letters are in there, I found an easy way to memorize where Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians is. Go eat popcorn. I like popcorn. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And somebody once told me, and I'm going to say this, and I'm pretty sure it's true, that all the T's stay together. Thessalonians, Titus, Timothy's, all the T's stay together. So little things like that because of all the bad stuff I used to do, my mind kind of slips me once in a while, and I'm still praying for a complete healing on that. But Philippians, the popcorn, go to the popcorn chapter. Philippians, chapter 4, starting at verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he said, I even say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Last week we talked about to pray the kingdom come now. Not later, after you close your eyes and die. Now. Jesus taught us to pray the kingdom come now. He's saying right here, the Lord is near. The kingdoms come now. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the promise. Then the peace of God, which passes and transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So what is it here? What, what, what do those verses say? Rejoice, pray, give thanks. And then he tagged on a promise for us. You do those three things, and I promise I'll have your heart. Guard your mind. You will have peace that nobody and not even yourself can understand. Why you have peace in the middle of this turmoil. If you rejoice, pray, and give thanks. But you must do these three things in order to receive this promise. But see, that's not it. Isn't that the first thing we want to do when we're going through troubles and it feels like we're in the middle of this tornado of life, we start crying, God, give us peace, give us peace, give us peace. We want the promise without doing what we're supposed to do. Right? We, 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 we'll figure out how to stop this tornado. Just give me peace while I figure it out, God. He's like, no. I told you, here it is. This is what you need to do. Rejoice. Rejoice in the tornado? Rejoice. Rejoice. Pray and give thanks. Then the peace of God will come. Then your heart will have peace. Your mind will have peace. You won't understand where the peace came from or how you're even able 
to stand up in this tornado that you're going through. But if you rejoice, pray, and give thanks, then the promise comes. So why do we make it so hard? Why do we try to complicate this? It's a whole will. God's whole will for our life is summed up in those three little words. And yet we try to complicate it and make it something more than it really is. Joyce Meyer said, A life of frustration and struggle, a life without peace, is the result of focusing on things you can't do anything about. When you worry about things beyond your control, stress and anxiety creep into your life. Once we realize we are struggling with something and feel upset, we need to start praying immediately. Turn the situation over to God. Rejoice. Pray. Be thankful. And he will provide according to his will. And he will give us his peace. Jesus came so we could have righteousness, joy, and peace. You won't find the peace of God if you're trying to fix your tornado. You won't find the peace of God anywhere else but if you do these three things. Rejoice, rejoice, pray, and give thanks. The opening video we watched was this verse. And turn with me over to Colossians. And where is Colossians? We were just in popcorn, right? Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. Starting at verse 15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. We're called to be a people of peace. Well, how do we live in this peace? He says in verse uh, 15 there, be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through, through psalms, through hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There it is again. The same three things. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. That's how we are people of peace. Thank him for everything. In whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, thank him for your house. Oh, but Brenda, it's an apartment. It's not even mine. Thank him for the apartment. Thank him for your car. Oh, but it's a beat-up old truck. Constantly breaks down. Thank you that it runs when it does. Thank him. Thank him for your job. Oh, but it's only minimum wage. Thank him that you have minimum wage. Thank him for your health, but I'm not healthy. I've got so far to go. Thank him that you're still breathing then. Thank him for what you do have. Thank him now for what you have. Think about it. You're a parent. If you have an ungrateful child, 
They're sitting in their room filled with Legos and uh, Xboxes and toys and books and humongous beds and furniture, and yet they said, I have nothing. I wish I had what so-and-so had. What do you as a parent want to do? Okay, I've done it. I've raised six kids. I've done this before. Then all this is gone. If you don't want it, I'll take it away. And I've done that for a few kids. Stripped their bedrooms. The one I stripped his bedroom and locked it all in his closet. I mean, we went and bought one of those locks with the padlock. Locked it up. So all he had was one mattress on the floor, one blanket, one pair of pajamas, one pair of clothes. Are you going to be thankful for what you do have? Just give me back my stuff. No, you didn't want it. You weren't thankful for it. Mm -mm. No, let's see how long you can be thankful for what you do have. And then little by little, we'll start giving them back something. You thankful for this? You think, really? Come on. Isn't that what we want to do? Well, some of us have done it. If you're not thankful for it, why am I going to let you keep it? So the job that you're not too thankful about because it's only minimum wage, would you be more thankful if you didn't have any wage? When somebody gives you a gift, better yet, when you give somebody a gift, when they look at it and say, man, this is okay, but I really wanted don't that break your heart? Especially me. One of my love languages, gifts. And not just receiving them, which I do like to receive them. It's giving. I mean, I love giving gifts. I can't help it. I just love it. But it hurts my heart when the person on the other end says something like basically being ungrateful. Eh, it's okay. I can't stand it. Right now, I, it's like pulling teeth for my kids. Christmas is one of my most favorite seasons, holidays, because it's gifts. And I know Jesus. Yes, we love you. Ultimate gift. I'm not setting that aside. That is number one in our house. Gift, Jesus, number one. But also, all of us being able to share gifts. So when I call the kids and say, oh, what do you want for Christmas? because I've learned after all these kids and all these years being alive on this earth that, you know, I will try to get rid of the, un, you know, ungratitude or ingratitude and, and just ask them, tell me what you want, and I'll go get it. And I'm still excited about going to get it because they want it. I'll even tell them, I'll give you a couple websites, go pick it out. Send me the link and I'll get it. And then I'm even so excited about it, I can't help. And I want to give it to them before Christmas. Usually when they pop over, I'll say, see that right there under the tree? See it? It's waiting for you. And they're like, well, I know what it is. Maybe you don't. But when I think that what I've gotten them, they're not going to care about, it breaks my heart. You're not thankful for what I give you? You know, and as God gives us everything, I mean, imagine if we were that child and just had everything stripped away from our life, set in an empty room all by ourselves. Could you still be thankful for all that God has given you? You're like, well, Brenda, I'll be in an empty room. Look at yourself. Okay, so you won't have a mirror, so don't look at you. Well, look down. Think. He's given me a body that moves. He's given me a brain that can think. He's given me a free will to choose. 
He's given me a heart that can feel love. He's given me breath. He created a plan for me before I was even born. He's preparing a place for me in heaven while I'm down here. There's still so much God's given us. And we need to learn how to be thankful for all we have. Stop focusing on what we don't have and focus on what we have been given. A lack of gratitude is a mighty weapon that Satan will use to destroy your relationship with God. When you complain about what you've been given, it hurts the heart of God. When all you focus on is what you don't have, I mean, I've said this to my kids a few times. You know, when you always talk about what else you want, you really make me feel like I'm not a good mom because I couldn't give you enough. I can't do enough for you. That's not fair. Because if you look around, we've given you a whole lot of stuff. And even if we stripped all the toys out and all the games out and all the extra clothes and all that, we still give you a nice, safe place to live. You can lay your head down on your bed in peace. We give you love, unconditional love. We give you food. So when you constantly focus on something God hasn't given you, that's got to hurt his heart. Instead of being thankful for what he has given you. With thanksgiving in our hearts, we need to cultivate this attitude of gratitude. Listen, gratitude will kill that greed. And let me just say it, that's what it is. When you're focusing on what you don't have, it's a spirit of greed. You're being greedy, you're wanting more, wanting more, wanting more. Never satisfied, never content. But gratitude kills greed. Those who regularly give thanks to God find they are ready to give to others. Gratitude and generosity go hand in hand. Gratitude kills grumpiness. Gratitude kills complaining. Grumpiness, complaining, irritability do not grow well in a climate of gratitude. When we practice thankfulness on a regular basis, it ensures that gratitude will spill over into every area of our lives. And let me tell you, it's contagious. Just like complaining is contagious. We're getting ready to sit down with family and friends on Thursday at Thanksgiving. And I'll tell you, I've done this before, and I've said I love watching people. I love going to the malls and sitting and watching people. But when we used to do our great big family get-togethers, and there's 40, 50, 70 people crammed into a house, you can see it. If Uncle Joe over there in the corner starts complaining about his football team that's not doing well, everybody else in that room will start complaining. If the ladies out in the kitchen start complaining that those guys sat out there watching football all day long and they never help with anything, all the other women will start complaining, that's right, my husband does the same thing. Just like complaining is contagious, gratitude is contagious, and we need to help cultivate this attitude of gratitude, especially this Thursday. 
Even in the worst conditions, there is a power found in thanksgiving. Henry Frost served for many years as a missionary to China. He wrote in his journal of a difficult time in his life, and he wrote this. He said, I had received sad news from home, and deep shadows had covered my soul. I prayed, but the darkness did not vanish. I summoned myself to just endure this, but the darkness only deepened. Then one day I went to an inland station and saw on the wall of the mission these words, Try Thanksgiving. I did, and in a moment every shadow was gone not to return. Peace will come when we rejoice, pray, and give thanks. I want us to look at a very familiar story in the Bible, but I believe God is going to show you something eye-opening. It was eye-opening to me because sometimes we've, we've been a Christian so long, we read, 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 and we start to glass over even as it is. Um, it's becoming familiar to us. Um, I want to encourage you, and this is just a, a nugget for you on the side, slow down your reading. Even if it's same thing you've read a hundred times, grab a different translation. Slow it down. I mean, look at each word. And when I was doing that over this um, Acts chapter 16 story, when I slowed it down, I've heard the story, I've preached the story, I've did dramas about the story. This caught my attention like never before. And let me just summarize, leading up here, Acts chapter 16, leading up to verse 22. Here's the story of Paul and Silas. They had been preaching in Philippi. When a fortune-telling slave girl starts following them around, yelling, these are men of God. Well, she did it for so long and so loud that it really started annoying Paul, so he turned and just cast that spirit out of her. Well, then her masters, realizing that their moneymaker was now gone, was mad. So they attacked Paul and Silas. And then we pick it up here in verse 22. It says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought for sure all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So did you see that in verse 26? 
Paul and Silas were the ones singing praise to God after being beaten and thrown in prison. For what? What did they do wrong? Nothing. They were preaching the gospel. Paul and Silas were singing. Paul and Silas were rejoicing in all circumstances. Paul and Silas were giving thanks, singing these songs. And yet in verse 26, it said, All the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were loosened. Everyone experienced freedom, not just Paul and Silas. Freedom for all, all come when you rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Freedom goes with you. Salvation was experienced, not because of a great message Paul preached. Remember, the jailer wasn't even in there when he, they were singing, so he wasn't like moved by the music and tugged on his heart, and, and Paul gave a great sermon and, and called him up front. No, he came in. What did he do? He saw the power of God demonstrated. All the doors were open. All the bonds were broke. Everyone was set free, and he fell to his knees and said, What must I do to be saved? When we give thanks to God in all circumstances, the benefits of God's power affect all around us. I have to say, though, I believe God's power is manifested even more when we give thanks in the bad circumstances. See, anybody can be thankful when things are going well. Anybody. Hello? Don't you ever want to say that to some of those rich people? It's like, oh, isn't that person so nice? They're joyful all the time. I'm like, yeah, and they got a million bucks in the bank. Yeah, I'd be thankful too. I'd be happy too. God's power is demonstrated even more so when we rejoice and are thankful in the bad circumstances. Captives are set free. The blind can see, and salvation comes to all when we rejoice and are thankful in all circumstances. So let me just sum up today's message on the power in thanksgiving. Rejoice always. Pray continually. And give thanks in all circumstances. If you begin to live this out, you will see God's power demonstrated in all you say, in all you do. And then the promise, the peace of God will guard your heart, will guard your mind. And that peace passes all understanding. No one can even understand why are you so peaceful. And what you're going through, why are you so peaceful? Because I rejoice in the Lord. He is good at all times. I pray and I give thanks. If you're ready to see God's power demonstrated in you and through you, you need to stop focusing on what you don't have and begin thanking God for what you do have. So here's my challenge. I want you to begin cultivating an attitude of gratitude that will become a lifestyle, but I want to challenge you for the next five days beginning today. And if you know how to count real fast, you know that ends up on Thursday then, that fifth day. For the next five days, to not think about what you don't have, 
to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks for everything you do have, to cultivate that attitude of gratitude. And I want us to first, first, first thing you always need to be thankful for and rejoice is God and his son that he sent for the ultimate sacrifice for all sins. That there's a place prepared for us. So today, we've moved Communion Sunday to today because it just, it was just a perfect time for us to thank God. So, Brian, if you have somebody to help you, I don't remember. As they start handing out these elements, the Bible encourages us to examine ourselves before taking communion. Maybe today's a good day for you to recommit yourself to God. Giving him all authority in your life. Remember, what was the word we learned last week? Remember, there was one word we learned. Titular. The word titular means that we've given somebody a title, but we've given them no authority. And so often, we in our lives as Christians, we've made Christ a titular king. We've said, oh, we'll call you king, but you just can't have any authority in my life. I'll go ahead and take care of my life. Maybe today you need to recommit that kingship. You need to recommit that authority to him. Relinquish that authority. Give it back to Christ. So let's just do that. Go ahead, right where you're sitting. I'm going to think about um, getting my heart right, recommitting my heart, and then I'll come back and we'll take the elements together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to read this scripture to you from the message version. He said, let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the master himself and passed them on to you. The master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, he took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this to remember me. And after supper, he did the same thing with the cup. He said, This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. 
You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. So let's just do that. God, we just want to thank you right now that you have given us your son. And Jesus, that you offered yourself, your body up for us. And here it is represented in this little piece of bread broken for us. That in by laying down all your rights and all your authority, you took on man. And then you even prayed in the garden, oh, if there be any other way. But you knew it had to be God's will that needed to be done and not your will. I thank you for that example that you set for us that God's will can have supreme authority in our life if we just surrender to it. We thank you for your broken body and all it represents. We remember you today, Jesus. And let's take this together. He said, Jesus took this cup and he said, this cup represents my blood. Remember, the Lord's Supper came right before. He knew. He knew what was coming. And looking at his disciples, he knew that his blood was going to be spilled. And he said, this is my blood. This is my new covenant with you. Now, every time you take this bread, you drink this cup, remember me. Remember my sacrifice. And then he went even so far to say, you know what? I'm never going to put this juice to my lips again until we meet again. I won't drink again until I see you. So let's just remember Jesus right now. Father, we just thank you again that you sent your son a greater sacrifice that we can't even understand. And Jesus, you went to the cross willingly that your blood was spilled, that all our needs, all our desires, all our even insecurities, our inabilities, our sicknesses, our diseases, our fears, our everything we need is found in you. You made an atonement for all the sin before we were even created. Any sin that we could even think of, you already sacrificed for. Thank you, Jesus that your blood covers all. A new covenant. We want to thank you. We want to remember you. This day we rejoice in the sacrifice. We can't wait to see you again. We can't wait to see you, Lord. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here today as it is in heaven. Every day we give you all authority. Thank you for this blood. Let's take it together.
You don't have to wait once a month for us to take communion together. As a matter of fact, I think one of the most touching times I had in communion was I was fasting with a friend in Traverse City. It was a prolonged fast. We were ending our fast, and he brought over crackers, saltine crackers, and a bottle of grape juice. And he said, Brenda, and I had cooked this meal. I was hungry, and I cooked this big meal, and I was ready to end our fast. And he said, I think before we end our fast, we should take communion. And I'll tell you, that was moving to me, that before we put anything in our mouth, even to end our fast, that we first remembered the sacrifice, that we were thankful and we rejoiced. And I'll tell you, I was so happy for that cracker. I was so happy for that, not in a way that I was trying to be filled up by it, but that it was everything I needed. It is everything I need. God is, Jesus is everything we need, and we need to be thankful. So to cultivate this attitude of gratitude first, always first, be thankful to God. In this challenge, I am challenging you for the next five days. Be faithful to it and cultivate it in you. Let it create a lifestyle in you. So first, God, thank you, Jesus. And second, be thankful for everything you have, starting with your family. Since you're going to be seeing them in a few days, five days to be exact. So if you do this, if you take this challenge, you'll have five days under your belt. So when you get together, you can be the one that sets the tone in the house. But I want us to start today. I ended early so that Brian could hand out these note cards. I want us to take time right now. If you have a pen, if you need a pen, ask Brian or Maynard. They'll get you a pen. Write what you are most thankful for. An individual, maybe your family as a whole, maybe even something you do as a family. But take the time, and I want you to write a thank you to your family, for your family, about your family. And then I want you to read that on Thanksgiving Day to your family. I want you to stand up. If it's at the dinner table, right before you guys eat, say, you know what, my pastor challenged me to write this. Last Sunday I wrote it, and I want to read it to you. But it will cultivate an attitude of gratitude. So I want to take the next three, four minutes, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to walk around like a teacher looking over your shoulder and making sure you're writing things down. That you write out a thank you. I'm so thankful. Maybe yours starts something like this. I'm so thankful for my family. As messed up as we are, we can still love each other unconditionally. Well, even when we try to put conditions on our love, we know we're family and we still stick together. I'm thankful for brother so-and-so or cousin so-and-so. They always make me laugh. I'm so thankful that dad is so in love with football and it sparked a love of football in me. I'm so thankful for the closeness we have. See, your family doesn't have to be perfect in order to be thankful for them. We learned that today.
Be thankful for what you have been given. If you're still filling out your cards, please do that. I want to encourage you. Um, we haven't done this for a couple years. But a few years ago, God put it on my heart to get a hold of all of our family members before we got together on Thanksgiving 
And I listed in this email that I sent out, and some I had to mail out, snail mail, but um, everybody's name. I said, please write a sentence or two sentences at the most of what you enjoy most about this person or love most about this person or just a word of encouragement about this person. Collected all those, and I put together, made these little frames with the person's name on it, and then each one, it didn't say from who, it was just all these words of encouragement, all these sentences of encouragement. And we held a time, I think it was right after dinner. I just said, you know, or I think it was right after dinner. I guess it doesn't matter. But I handed them all out, and then each one stood up and read their own. They, you know, my name's Jacob, and this is what people in my family are saying about me. And it was a very, very deep, moving time. I think because too often we just come to an event, we come together and we focus on the food or focus on the football, and we forget that that might be the last time you see that individual. Or you can be, you could grow up with somebody and you think all these things about them, but you never say these things to them. We need to cultivate this attitude of gratitude, and what better place than when we're with our family to get into a habit of saying things to each other that we might really love about them, but we keep them inside, thinking, oh, they know, they know. Well, sometimes we, we're just human, and we like to hear. So do that. Uh, either start something, you know, set up a table at Thanksgiving and say, you know what, this is our thankful table over here. There's note cards or blank note cards and envelopes over there. Before you leave today, go write down somebody, go write a card to somebody and drop it in there. And then you just, or have somebody walk by there every once in a while and say, oh, this is made out to sister so-and-so. And anonymously just take it over to them. Or have them take them before they leave the night. But something, do something to help cultivate this attitude of gratitude. And start it out by reading those cards on the fifth day. Remember, we're starting today. All right, let me close in prayer. What I've asked is I had a couple prayer requests given to me this last week. The first one is by Jacqueline, which she's not here today. Um, did you hear about that accident with the train in Kalamazoo and the car and the individuals that died? Well, she told me that that was her niece was in that accident. Um, and she told me her name. I can't think of it right now. But she asked that we pray for her, of course, the family. Um, and then also, I want us to put Maynard in the hot seat. His wife, Sherry, I could read all the text, but I don't want to. Um, she was texting me yesterday or the day before. I don't remember when it was, but she went to the hospital um, isn't it osteoporosis they're saying that she has in the spine and they want to do surgery Wednesday mm -hmm. she's pretty worried about it um, she of course doesn't want surgery one of the things that was very upsetting to her is two weeks ago when Kevin's brother-in-law was here and he was preaching he was praying and I don't know, I, I wasn't paying attention to everything that was going on. I don't know if he went over there and prayed for her specifically, but she said she felt a healing. She felt better than she ever felt before. And then, you know, 
Now this happened, and she's very discouraged. And I told her, I said, well, get ready for your miracle. And I had her, I sent her my message from last week because she wasn't here, and I said, you know, God's kingdom. If you haven't heard last week's message, you need to get it. God's kingdom come now. If it's not okay to operate in heaven, in God's kingdom, sickness is not okay to operate in God's kingdom, disease is not okay, then it should not be operating here, God's will here, as it is in heaven. So I told her, I said, prepare for your miracle because we're going to lay hands on Maynard and you're going to get healed. We're going to pray and believe, not because we are anybody. We are nothing. Remember, God is king. God is king. We are stewards. He said, he didn't say just go and pray for people. He said go and heal. Heal. In Jesus' name, heal. So we're going to pray for um, healing for Sherry. I'm going to hear it today. I just believe that I'm going to hear today that she's already feeling better. She's going to go see the doctor, and the doctor's going to say, I don't see anything wrong with you. That's what I'm believing for. So rejoice, pray, and we're going to give thanks. Kevin's going to come up after we get done praying and is going to lead us out in thanksgiving. So let's do that. Let's just begin to rejoice for a minute. If you want to stand up, let's just begin to rejoice. God, you are so good. You are so wonderful in all you do. God, that you give us a body of believers to be able to come together to share, Lord, what we're going through when we're going through sicknesses or going through sorrow, that we can come together as a body. You've given us a body, Lord. You've knit us in this body, prepared a place for us in the body that will all work together. And when one part of the body is hurting, the whole part is hurting. Thank you, God. You are so wonderful. We are wonderfully made, Lord, created by you. And you know every little piece that needs to be put into alignment. And God, we just pray right now. And I just believe, Maynard, let's come up here. Guys, let's come up here. Let's put hands right on Maynard as he stands in for Sherry. God, we just believe that you are in this place, that your kingdom has come here. Your kingdom is here. Your will is going to be done as it is in heaven. And we just speak right now to Sherry's body, to that spine, to every disc in that back, that it be placed right That there is no osteoporosis, there is no broken, there is no sickness, there is nothing, Lord, that is not a part of you. God, we loose healing, healing in every part of her body, that her spine be placed right again in Jesus' name. Let her right now just begin to feel the heat of your presence, the heat of your healing, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you go do, Lord, do your will, your will in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. God, have your way, Lord. Let everything, Lord, every part, every part be healed. God, we just trust, Lord, that you're lifting up Sherry right now. God, that every place, every place, place will be put into right alignment in you, Jesus, in you, Jesus. We trust you, we trust you, we trust you, we trust you, God. Have your way, God, because you love her, you want to heal her. Lord, complete healing would come today, complete healing, complete 
healing. Not even just the start of it, but complete. Complete the healing you began two weeks ago. Complete that healing in Jesus' name. And Sherry, we just call on it in Jesus' name. Have your way. And God, right now, we just lift up Jacqueline to you. We lift up uh, her niece and her niece's family. God, that you would begin to just take them in your arms and hold them and comfort them. Lord, that you'd give Jacqueline the right words at the right time to speak, to share your love, your love. Lord, we just thank you for everything you've done and everything you're doing. Help us to constantly and consistently be growing and cultivating this attitude of gratitude within our own hearts, Lord, that we can then latch on to the promise that you've given us, that your peace will be with us. It will guard our hearts and mind when we rejoice, when we pray, and when we give thanks in all circumstances. We thank you, God, for everything and for the miracles and testimonies we will hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'll turn it over to you.